Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Of course, the big story of the day and the big story of the week, of course, is what's happening in Afghanistan. And I'm sure you're aware last night, US President Joe Biden spoke about the events which unfolded in Afghanistan over the last week. To give me a bit more information on it and give us a little bit of history behind the whole thing is Declan Power, who's a security analyst. Good afternoon to you, Declan. Good afternoon, Niall. How are things? Well, let's. I suppose we really have to go back to 1996 when this all kind of started, when the Taliban took power in the first place. And then, of course, people will start blaming George Bush after 9-11 for going in and the American intervention in the first place. And now we're at a point where whose fault is it and what should we do? Yes, yeah. And actually, I suppose, to, to be honest, it really goes back further than that. It goes back to the period of where the Russians came into Afghanistan to uh, bolster up a titularly uh, communist government who didn't have popular support. And the Russians made the classic error uh, of thinking, of uh, the same thing that the Americans did, thinking they could refashion the Afghans in the image and likeness of uh, mm. a good communist totalitarian state. Uh, and I suppose they were a bit nearer to the concept in that the Taliban uh, certainly embraced the totalitarian concept. But the Taliban were having none of it, none of that godless communism. And the Americans and Pakistanis made uh, uh, good uh, connectivity with them and they fought the Russians to a standstill and booted them out of Afghanistan. And then the Americans came in uh, as conquerors after 9-11 and the Taliban were toppled from power. But to paraphrase Jerry Adams, they never really went away. Um, I, I mean, they, for people who don't understand what they stand for, I mean, okay, the, the direct translation of the word is students, but I don't see an image of people reading books and educating no. themselves. So they're not really students as such. We, we see them more, they're, uh, rather, you know, when we see a vision, it's terror and destruction. And of course, a lot of people know what they represent. They are a political party. They're funded by the illicit sale of drugs, generally speaking. And, yes. you know, but, the, but what they stand for is, you know, girls age 10 can't be educated after that well, point. They, after, they stand for a very fundamentalist yeah. form of Islam that has a lot in common with Wahhabism and Salafism, which originated in the Gulf states in the Middle East, uh, you know, particularly Saudi Arabia. Um, they, they're not exactly the same as that, but they would have the, the, the student moniker comes from the fact that the key thinkers, if you could call them that, are ideologues and leaders that um, emanated in, and created the Taliban would have been studied in these madrasas, which were schools. Uh, particularly along the border there with um, Pakistan and Afghanistan and the, the, the provinces of the likes of Waziristan and Baluchistan, where the tribes you know, straddled the border. And it didn't really, it, a little bit like our own border, you know, people that uh, it doesn't really matter which side of the border that they were living on, but their communities were sort of independent of borders. And they had this very monolithic um fundamentalist view of Islam that was back in the Dark Ages, you know, similar to the Salafist Muhammadis. The common theme with that form of Islam is usually to be found amongst peoples that have had very little either exposure to modernity or uh, you know, you know, pluralist education, or also and, and also peoples that have been kept downtrodden. Because one of the ways... Uh, that you could show, uh, you know, that you could, tr in, in a downtrodden society, that you could achieve status, that you didn't have land, you didn't have money, you didn't have education, was to sort of out-religion your neighbors, mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and show you grow your beard longer than anyone else, be more pious, uh, live a more harsher lifestyle and subject then uh, those around you to uh, the, the rigours of Sharia law if they transgress. And this, and this is the fear, of course, of going back to that where women are essentially sentenced to death absolutely. for driving a car, for God's sake. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, I mean, and that would be yeah. the extreme. Now, you know, it, there obviously is a political branch which is based in Doha. They were the ones who, of course, handled the peace negotiations with the US under previous administrations. Yes. The plan was yes. set to start removing the troops from May the 1st. Uh, and that would have been uh, those plans back to Obama and the, the Trump administration. And of course, Biden is saying, well, look, I'm only doing what everybody wanted, that we shouldn't be you know, in a war, basically, where we're losing our own citizens for the sake of another country. Has he got a point? I mean, yes, is there a yes. point where you just have to remove the troops? Now, the argument is the Americans went in there in the first place and have a responsibility and a duty to the citizens of Afghanistan. But does he have a point? Uh, yes to both points, Niall. Uh, he, he does have a point. Uh, I'll expand on it in a minute. And uh, the Americans do have a responsibility. But not just, I, I wouldn't say the Americans, per se. Uh, the Americans and the West in general, because, you know, Europe was in there. Uh, the, you know, you, the, most European Union states uh, contributed to the International Security and Assistance Force that uh, there was a UN mandate for, including our own country, and uh, wanted to see... Uh, peace and stability uh, brought to that country for both altruistic reasons and for practical reasons. That a failed state becomes a rogue state and that's where terrorists congregate and that's where trouble ultimately ends up on your own doorstep if you don't do something about it. So, the, the, going back to the point about, you know, did Biden have a point? He did, but it's the way this has happened. It, there were better ways to do it. You see, ultimately what happened was American impatience finally boiled over because the Afghans weren't interested in doing the heavy lifting in fighting the Taliban. They never really were. And the question is, why not? Because there is no real Afghanistan. There is a collection of provinces and tribes and intertribal loyalties that constantly shift. And, you know, those tribal loyalties are also reflected in the Taliban. And in fact, the, the point you make about the, uh, the more sophisticated, politically aware elements in Doha and elsewhere that negotiated the ceasefire, the real question is, do they represent the entirety of the Taliban now? Or, and more importantly, do they control? Do they have command and control? Because I think that there are perhaps, we're going to see many Taliban. We'll see some enlightened elements that want to be, you know, uh, and I use the term advisedly, uh, that you have a sense of political opportunity here, and you'll see some that won't have uh, evolved much since the Dark Ages. I mean, money, um, money doesn't seem to be an issue, so, by the way, with, with the Taliban. I mean, as I mentioned already, I mean, most of their money is made from, you know, trade and heroin and precisely, opium. Precisely, yes. You answered I mean, that point yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 400 million, they estimate, per year they're making. I mean, that's quite a substantial amount of money. So money doesn't seem to be an issue. But according to Biden, you know, the Afghani army is 100,000 people, the Taliban possibly 30,000. So how do they allow this to happen? I mean, surely the Afghanis, because the amount of money that was put into it at this stage uh, yeah, this, and the amount of training they've been given by the Americans... And the British as well. I mean, surely they should have been ready for this. Well, the thing is, on paper, if you look at the table of organisation of the Afghan military forces, they seem to be in a very healthy state. Their manpower is at a high level. The munitions, the material, their war-making capacity is at a very high level. And the skill from the middle ranks downwards. The problem is, all of that doesn't matter if you don't have a leadership that have the will to fight. If you don't have a leadership that have the, the will to stand and fight, 
uh, and have a sense of wanting to win. And the real victory that has been achieved by the Taliban hasn't been on the battlefield, despite some of the portrayals, because they haven't really had to fight. They have literally sailed, romped uh, along the highways into Kabul, Kandahar and elsewhere, because the Afghan army did not really stand and fight. They, they fired a few token shots at best. And the question has to be asked, how did that work? So well, and the answer is to be found again in the tribal networks and what was a, an effective strategic communications plan launched by the Taliban to sway the leadership, the, the generals and the district officers and governors, the middle to senior leadership of the Afghan regime, and to apply them with ideas of, uh, well, we're going to be the bosses soon. Do you want to be on the losing side? Uh, we can come to a deal. Just uh, do the right thing when, our, uh, when you come face to face with our forces. Uh, and do you, do you think many of the citizens, um, you know, in Kabul and uh, different parts that they have already uh, moved into, uh, do they get support? I mean, when you see, for example, we've seen the scenes at the airport, which have been replayed over and over and over again at the news. And there was a picture as well. I put up on Twitter earlier on there of uh, the plane, uh, the transporter full of a, probably about a thousand people sitting on the floor on this transporter being, uh, you know, evacuated. And these people genuinely quite shocking humanitarian images of these people, fl- you know, fleeing in fear of the Taliban. Absolutely. Uh, mind you, there was one question. Maybe you would know the answer to this. It kind of puzzled me when I watched that. When I look at this picture of a plane full of people of a thousand people very few women and children mainly young men and the the human part of me asks the question of course I feel sorry for anybody in that situation is but do they just because they get married quite young the average male in Afghanistan marries at 22 the average female at 19 years of age most are married before the 19 years of age where are the women where are they yeah well, well this is a case of survival of the fittest and a lot of so do men just abandon their wives Yes, and the re- it's, maybe abandon is a harsh term, but there would be a calculated uh, approach here to some extent on the basis that a lot of those men would have been directly part of the regime, uh, maybe middle-ranking functionaries, police, national security people, people who know that no matter what the Taliban say, even if they don't engage in public bloodletting, they're going to end up in the cells hanging upside down. They're going to end up with a bullet in the back of the head if, uh, you know, if they're lucky. That's how their end might come. Uh, so those guys would have turned around and said to their wives, and uh, you know, listen, dear, I've got to get out. Uh, I'll get out. Uh, and then you're not going to command the same attention. You just keep your head down. And in time, I'll get you and the kids out. That would be the theory. And that is, that is a, a, a typical theory, mm-hmm. or a typical practice that would have been practiced in various countries where regimes fell, the, the men would look would immediately look to get out because they'd know they were first in the firing line. Because when we, uh, see, when we see then the camp set up at the Red Cross at a later point, you normally always see women and children in those camps because the men are usually gone at that stage, uh, you know, in those situations. And you, and you mentioned those situations. Precisely. And, and so th- that's, that's where the, they, they would most... And the, the mere fact that they actually got on flights shows you how well they, they weren't ordinary private soldiers in the Afghan army or, or ordinary constables in the Afghan police. Those were all guys that would have been uh, in probably specialist units or middle-ranking officers or something of that, or, or civil servants. People who had very much invested themselves in the regime and people who would be seen as you know, prime legitimate targets 
for punishment. I mean, only, only in July, of course, Joe Biden said, and he was questioned by reporters at the time in relation to what would happen uh, pulling out the troops. And the reporter, the reporter suggested that this was going to happen within a couple of months. And he was adamant that this was not going to happen. And of course, he was wrong. Uh, I mean, why do you believe he was so headstrong in relation to this when he said, uh, obviously, the American would have the best security forces in the world, the best intelligence in the world. Surely they should have known this happened. Why were they so adamant this wasn't going to happen? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very, very valid question. I think there's two two aspects to that. One is, uh, maybe he didn't, and maybe he has been really badly served and wouldn't be the first time by his intelligence apparatus, because while it is one of the best uh, constructed apparatus in the world, US intelligence community, it, it, it has shown itself to, by all means, not be perfect. And where it has its weakness is with what is known in the trade as human uh, there are all kinds of different segments of intelligence, and essentially, without going to get into the, the, the nitty-gritty of it, human intelligence. You, you have electronic intelligence, e-lint, you've got image intelligence, you, you know, you've got a variety of uh, signals intelligence. Now, when it involves technical apparatus, the U.S. are king. You know, with being able to hoover up information, you know, uh, uh, out of the infosphere uh, through uh, electronic and cyber means. But where they have let themselves down is neglecting the management of human networks. Uh, and more importantly, then, having the analytical capability of understanding nuanced information. And so that tells you, look, if you were to look at the, the straightforward black and white information about the Afghan army, that's where then you get the brief saying, oh, they'll be able to hold out for at least three months, which is the brief that Biden and co got. But if you were looking at more nuanced analysis of the leadership and who's leaning in what way and what way the sentiment is going, because this is what I think happened here. The, the, there was a mobilization of sentiment by the Taliban uh, that, that swung a lot of middle to senior ranking leadership in the Afghan regime to, at the very least, look the other way and not fight. Because you know, there just was no will to fight. And that was not picked up in any meaningful way, I would argue, by the U.S. intelligence community. On the other hand, let's just argue for a second that that was picked up. And therefore, what, what could have happened there is that Biden came to a, he and his advisors and his administration came to a conclusion that there was no easy way to get out of there. Because even though I've argued the point before that uh, the U.S. could have withdrawn most of their ground troops but left air assets in place, left... Well, that's what people are saying. They should have done it maybe a little bit slowly and and watched the situation unfold, and then they could have moved more troops back in or taken more out, depending on how they believe it was going. Or what they've done in other theatres to to good effect, which is use proxies. Uh, Because there are plenty of tribal alliances that uh, would be only too willing uh, to fight the Taliban. And had they started to, to mature those, to nurture those, and uh, get advisors in place and offer them air support, they'd have done the heavy lifting, they'd have done the fighting. Uh, but that requires a level of time, expertise and networking. It could, it, they've done it before. Like, that's effectively what happened with the Kurds uh, in the fight against the, uh, the, the uh, Assad's regime. But look, this is now... I mean, well, yeah, but the scenes we've Trump. seen, I mean, the scenes that we're watching on TV are similar to what you would have seen from Saigon. I mean, these are yeah, incredible worst, scenes. Yeah, and, yeah. and of course now you have a lot of people being displaced and you've got world leaders obviously to say, suggesting they will take refugees. Uh, I know Biden has suggested he'll take 2,000 plus families, Ireland 200 plus families, and I'm sure most countries will take their own fair share as such. That's but, of course if they're let out. You know, unlike the, uh, the, the Syrian uh, debacle, uh, you know, it remains to be seen what the Taliban are going to do. At the moment they control all points of uh, 
uh, exit. And mm-hmm. um, you know, it remains to be seen whether they'll let anyone out. So, so, so what's predict- in the future, Declan? I mean, I mean, we see history repeating itself essentially over and over again in these situations. I mean, you've got the Taliban who claimed, by the way, in a recent interview, that they wouldn't go back to the way they were before in relation to the treatment of women. But there's no doubt they will. Um, and there's no doubt they will uh, obviously continue to inflict this very strict version of Sharia law on women in particular, uh, where women probably won't be able to take up jobs, won't be able to drive cars, uh, the cinemas will be closed, uh, public executions for people who are adulterers, etc., etc., or amputation exactly, for those Exactly, but does these. that not sound familiar to you now? Well, uh, it does, I mean, of course. It doesn't yeah. sound too different to Saudi Arabia, does it? So, so here's the thing, if they, if they go Taliban light, in other words, uh, you know, institute their conservative uh, regime, but don't go overboard on the bloodthirstiness like they used to in the 90s. And give us a version that we see in Saudi Arabia or indeed large chunks of Pakistan. And I guarantee you, the Western world will find an accommodation with that. If they can bring stability and don't go you know, full pet, uh, you know, foot to the floor in brutality, then they will end up being rehabilitated. But the, the, the other danger, them. Declan, just before we go, is that, of course, people look at this as, OK, Taliban are back in power. Taliban are not just the Taliban, of course, in Afghanistan. Taliban, it's worldwide. There are people, yes. foot soldiers worldwide, of course, and people who support the Taliban yeah, worldwide. And, and uh, other groups they're aligned with. Yeah, uh, exactly. Absolutely, who have now, well, this builds their confidence, I suppose, to some degree. I mean, oh, yeah, are, yeah, are we likely involved. to see a return to what we saw kind of five, six, seven years ago where we saw random terrorist attacks around the world with people who are supporting these organisations. Are we likely to see that again? There's a distinct possibility. I mean, the whole idea of the US going into Afghanistan, despite what Joe Biden said in his speech, was to topple that regime and to try and recreate a whole new world in Afghanistan so that it would never be a rogue state again. And uh, now they have to turn and pull out in the way they did. Like, I, obviously, Joe Biden uh, had come to a conclusion. This is like a sticking plaster. It needs to be just ripped off and we just take the hit. Uh, but it was really ill-advised because it's not just the instance of ripping off the sticking plaster. There has been huge damage to U.S. prestige. Everybody gave out about Donald Trump deserting the Kurds and, and, in general, the damage he did to U.S. prestige worldwide. And everybody breathed a sigh of relief when we saw Joe Biden take the, the reins. Because we thought, well, the, the, you know, grown-up U.S. is back. Responsible U.S. leadership is back. And now he's gone and done something that's Trumpian in, in its way. And, and the other thing, Niall, is where is Samantha Power? Where is Kamala Harris and all the other Democrat ladies that have been beacons for feminism I mean, and... Absolutely. You know, they, they, I mean, so this, this really raises the point that I, I, I know the liberals of the world were delighted the day that Joe, Joe Biden walked into power and that was the end of Trump. But I mean, because obviously Kamala Harris was there and uh, they felt that she was a good backup plan if all things went pear-shaped. I mean, so you're right, where is she? But is Joe Biden incapable of being a president? People are saying this over and over. I'm looking on social media, you know, over the last week or so, and even last night, his speech, he read it clearly from the article. He struggled his way through it, and you can clearly see that I really don't think he understands actually what's going on at all. Uh, I, I think, look, I think, I think he's, he's a clever uh, politician. And he has shown uh, down through the decades his ability to get consensus. And I think that maybe at the back of all this was a desire to placate maybe the more extreme liberal left wing of the Democrats who wanted the troops out at all costs and wanted a bone thrown their way that there was a big move. And I think a a thing that could have been done that wouldn't have destabilised the world was close down Guantanamo Bay 
for God's sake. And that would have kept a lot of people, shut up a lot of critics mm-hmm. in the back of his party and wouldn't have jeopardized the geopolitical stability of the world the way this has. It's, it's a really bad misstep. As, you know, the other great irony of this is his, his long-time friend and confidant and collaborator, uh, John McCain, would have thrown his hands up in the air at this. He'd probably have climbed across the, 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 the Congress and throttled him for doing this because he would have seen what madness it was. Maybe it wouldn't have happened if he was still alive and active in Congress. But uh, this is, it's, it's been a really, and he's played into the hands now of his uh, Republican enemies who have wanted to paint him as being uh, out of sync and out of touch. So it's going to take a bit of, you know, he's wily. I wouldn't write him off yet. But it'll take a bit of time to, 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 uh, to shore up. The final point I would make to you about this, though, uh, Niall, when you asked about will this become a beacon of terrorism, one thing that will probably happen is the Taliban will, even if they want to at the leadership level, because I don't think they have anything like the necessary command and control, that you'll have a lot of traditionalists and nasty bastards that will come to the fore at governor level and, and, and do nasty things. And then you will have all of the other regional tribal groups that were their natural enemies, uh, tribal enemies, come out and you will have a nasty civil war. And those other groups that are anti-Taliban will end up being backed by the West the same way, the same way the West backed the, 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 what became the Taliban against the Russians. And you will have this ongoing stalemate drenched in blood, uh, Maybe the best case scenario then is some sort of a cease, a kind of a semi ceasefire like you currently have in Syria at the moment. So that's not terribly optimistic. Quite bizarre images on TV. Up. Actually, I just seen the TV there a minute ago in front of me. Quite bizarre images of Taliban in a fairground, which I thought was quite bizarre when you look at people fleeing for their lives and terrified under this regime and you've got these individuals enjoying a day out after their conquests in a fairground yeah, yeah, on yeah. swings and roundabouts and I'm going what is going on in that country? Right? Do you know what comes to mind uh, when you talk about that uh, the, the Stephen King film with uh, the, the oh what's the one the one with the clown in it who is an actual who's a monster Yes, he, yes. It, yeah. yeah it's a little bit like that these very innocent images a sort of uh, clouding or masking the you know the evil behind it absolutely brutal yeah. terror and evil yeah underneath yeah. it and uh, I suppose like it remains to be seen maybe maybe the Taliban have really restructured and rethought their gig but I just don't think they have the tradition or capability to have the command and control to uh, to be able to give us Taliban light in the way that they would but if they do well, I, well I, I hope you're right Declan and I hope it is Taliban light and it's not Taliban version 2.0 because if it is I think the people of Afghanistan are in trouble and not only the people of Afghanistan but in an unstable country like that I think the world is in trouble yeah and the, the, the tragedy of that is we're back to square one after 20 years of you know blood and treasure being poured into that war and you know, the effect it's had on Europe and the US tend up, you know, back to that. I was just thinking when, you know, when Kabul fell, there was a guy I knew of called Sergeant Greg Stube, who was a special forces medic. You know, he, the fact that he's alive is testimony to, to battlefield medicine. He lost half his intestines, a leg and a, 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 and a foot, and third degree burns no. all over his body from, a, a bl- from both an IED and a, an ambush. Now, he survived and he's done great work, but, I mean, he must, he and people like him must look askance and say what? What was the last twenty Christ? years about? Yeah. What was that about? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think and and I think I think that was the only thing that Joe Biden said last night that was probably correct in some sense was it is quite disrespectful to all the men you know from the United Kingdom, from America, and everywhere else that either were maimed or lost their lives over the last twenty years. I mean, you're exactly that. What was it about? Why did we even bother? 
So yeah, we're back to yeah. square one again. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, and I think that's why this is so ill-advised. I mean, even if the, the, the argument has been made that even if they gave them the air support and, and continued that, that the Afghan army was never going to be able to fight. And, and I'd, I'd agree. But I mean, there were lessons to be learned, like what happened in Iraq, where the Iraqi army weren't up to stopping ISIS. So the militias were backed up. But I mean, it's about picking your guy, whether it's a regular army or whether it's militias and tribal groups that are anti your enemy and giving them the air support and the things they need so that they can uh, successfully fight. So yeah. in, in, the, in the Levant and in, you know, against ISIS, the Kurds became the guys on the ground. It doesn't always have to be huge amounts of Western boots on the ground. And that's what America is fearful of. And certainly the Democrats, they do not want to be the ones to commit large-scale uh, uh, numbers of U.S. troops into the fight anymore. But now U.S. enemies and the enemies of the West in general are saying the U.S. doesn't have the stomach for the fight anymore. We can pretty much have a bash and do what Yeah, we not want. our circus, not our monkey. Isn't that what they're saying? That's it. That's all right, it. well, listen, thank you very much indeed for explaining all that. Declan Power Security Analyst, I really appreciate you coming on the air today. Good to talk. Take care now. What an interesting conversation and certainly a man who knows everything about what's going on over there at the moment. And he says, hopefully, it'll be Taliban light and it won't be Taliban version point two zero or two zero. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.